Good morning, everybody. I want to begin by uh, an article uh, given to me by my wife um, that she found on the website. That's from a gentleman by the name of uh, Reverend Dr. Christian Hofreeder, who is the director of the Ravi Zacharias Ministries in Austria, Germany and Switzerland. I won't read all the article, but this one paragraph that I thought was appropriate for the times that we're experiencing right now. And he said, already in the Old Testament, we find very strict quarantine regulations for those suffering infections and diseases in Leviticus 13. So when Christians follow government and medical advice to say drastically reduce all social contacts, this is not an expression of unbelief as though God did not have the power to protect or heal us. Rather, it is a demand of wisdom and especially of neighbourly love. The equation is simple and sobering. The flatter the rate of viral infection progresses, the smaller the number of vulnerable people who will die. Wherever we can contribute to that outcome, we should. I thought that's uh, an appropriate word for what our world is experiencing right now. I want to speak to you today on the subject, things which cannot be shaken. And I get my text from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 29. Let me read that to you. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance as the oldest son. And afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more 
indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. May God add his blessing to that reading today. It's one of the most powerful, challenging uh, readings that I've read in recent times. It's talking about Mount Sinai where the Lord, uh, the law and the Ten Commandments were given by Moses. And the contrast of Mount Zion where Jesus comes on the scene. The heavenly Jerusalem. What a difference Jesus makes. And before Jesus came, God seemed distant and threatening, but after Jesus came, God welcomes us through Christ into his presence. Put your faith and trust in Jesus, and we are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem. We are to build our life on the solid rock, on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And eventually, this world will crumble, and only God's kingdom will last. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ are part of this unshakable kingdom. So if we as believers, you are unsure about the future, we can get confidence and have confidence from these verses no matter what happens to us in our world. Your future is on the solid rock which cannot be destroyed. Praise God for that. I feel very much for the premiers of our state in these, particularly the last three, four months. They've had to uh, endure drought. They've had to endure fires, floods, and now this worldwide virus that is affecting everyone in the world. Some may say, where is God when we need him? Why has he allowed such things to take place? Is this part of God's judgment on the world? Has God turned his back on the world and our nation? Is he unable to intervene? Or is he limited in his power? The author of Hebrews cries, no way! God is alive and God is not idle. He is fulfilling his word. Nothing is happening in our world that is outside his sovereign will. God is shaking the things that can be shaken in order to uncover the things that can never be shaken. I think Jerry Lee Lewis was right when he said there's a whole lot of shaking going on. But in the context of our reading, the author was about to witness the violent overthrow of Jerusalem which symbolised the long tradition of his faith. The pagan power of Rome was getting ready to destroy the city and to kill people by the thousands and to scatter the refugees that uh, did not, were not destroyed. So the author saw that such terrific devastation would raise questions in people's minds, just as 
um, the consequences and uh, of our virus that's taking place in the world, people are asking many questions. How long will this last for? But we want to thank God in Australia that we've had many, many years of freedom to worship, many years of freedom to travel, many years of freedom to purchase, freedom of speech. But now even some of those privileges have been, have been restricted because of this pandemic. But I'm sure there are many today who believe that our nation needs a real shaking up morally, economically and spiritually. There have been many decisions made by governments that are diametrically opposed to God's word. Even in regard to abortion this past week, in one of the countries, they have decided to abort children just before birth. When Jesus came, the old religious world was shaken to the core. Their beliefs were challenged. The Christians preached that Christ was greater than Moses and that the covenant of grace was greater than the law and that the offering of Christ upon the cross was superior to that of animal sacrifices. Moses' ritual of sacrificing bulls and goats was temporary, but Christ's sacrifice was permanent. The old order was done away with, and now the new has come. In other words, the believers uh, believed that uh, God was about to shake the old order of things and bring in something more precious and something more permanent. So in the light of all the uncertainty and the shakings that are taking place um, in our country and in our world, may I suggest to you this morning three main thoughts to consider. First of all, we need the grit to face the facts. Well, what are some of the facts? Number one is our social and economic world is on shaky ground. I'm sure that's an understatement. The stock market is unbelievably volatile and many companies are going under. Many people are dying around the world. Hospitals cannot cope. People unemployed, nearly up to a million people. Now this past week, wealth has been stripped away. Fear is everywhere. Secondly, our democratic system is on shaky ground. Civilization is under attack and been challenged in recent times. And once that goes, so does our freedom. Things we held dear over the years are now being challenged and being changed. There's another thought here, thirdly, that we are experiencing in our world a shaky theology. We live in a culture today where there is no longer commonly held love of truth there is a move today that believe that God is a God of tenderness and that there is no such thing as hell, that uh, he would see everyone through to a happy end, that God in the end will save everybody. That, my friends, is universalism and that is happening right in their world to stay. The next after man, after all, is not really sinful, who needs to be changed in a spiritual rebirth, but is essentially good he need only to have um, the good brought out by education and by improvement in his theology. That is liberalism. 
But there's another. There are those Christians who call themselves progressive Christians. In Michael Yusuf's new book, Saving Christianity, he says, they have emptied the faith of everything divine and supernatural, leaving us with a Jesus who was born out of wedlock, who preached some good sermons, had the delusions of grandeur when he said that he was the son of God. He died for no good reason and he is still dead and buried to this day. And our job, folks, as believers is not to make Christianity more palatable in our world. It's not our job to make the gospel of Jesus more politically correct. We are simply called to believe the gospel, obey it and proclaim it faithfully. Hallelujah. Yusuf goes on and says that God has not left us any wiggle room for interpreting his words and finding some hidden meaning. Let me give you another fact, and that is that our witness, our witness is on shaky ground. There's a credibility gap in Australia. There's a gap between what we say we believe and how we live it out. There's a gap between what we say we're going to do but never get round to doing it. We say we're going to spend a lot of time with our family, but don't. We are to be salt and light in our community, but we cannot be salt and life if we are pig-headed, grumpy and negative and treat our spouse like a second-class citizen. All that does is affect our witness and you lose your credibility. Not only do we need the grit to face the facts, but secondly, we need the grip that holds the things that are unshakable. We are to hold to the things that are unshakable. So what are they? Let me give you four. I wanted to uh, declare to you today that we have an unshakable person. In Romans 12, 24, but you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, Moses fades out and Jesus comes in on the scene. Others have lived and died, but Jesus comes and he dies and he lives today forevermore. Hallelujah. And to make our lives what they ought to be and to be faithful to us unto the end. The old covenant uh, has been shaken and Jesus as the mediator will be to the end of the world, infinitely superior. Jesus never meant that the old covenant, the old system, to be permanent and all the way through Hebrews the word better is mentioned if you want to count them up you'll come to about 12 times that that word better is mentioned means that Jesus Christ is superior to all the Old Testament characters and the institution we only have to look into the next chapter of Hebrews to find these words Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever unchangeable unshakable the old hymn puts it right and says that he changes not. Thou compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Secondly, we have an unshakable peace. Verse 6, the Lord disciplines those he loves. I'm sure we don't claim to understand the whole meaning of our suffering. All that we can say is, as Christians is that we are in God's hands and we are his children and that suffering does have a meaning, that we'll understand it by and by. 
Somehow God is right in there with us in our troubles, loving, strengthening, and adding stature to our character and giving understanding and peace to our soul. Some say that God and the angels are only spectators from a distance, a bit like Bette Midler's song, <laughs> From a Distance. But uh, he is no more spectator gazing from a distance upon the troubles and the distresses of his children, but he is a participator. And in the confidence of his unfailing love, I can carry on whispering, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. That's enough for me, folks. This love will not let me go, and I have peace in the knowledge of that. In Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. What a powerful scripture that is. The third thing that we need to look at, we have in God's holiness an unshakable principle. I get that from verse 14 where it says, Make every effort to live in peace with all people and to be holy, because without holiness no one will see the Lord. The temptation in our world today would be to say, we have outlived that stuff, we have outlived that teaching, this teaching would not grow the church in today's culture. And many scoff at the idea of living holy lives. Some say, I've heard them say to me even, you people are too holy-minded and too heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. And I'd say, folks, I, I think the opposite is more the truth. I think, unfortunately, we're too earthly-minded that we know heavenly good. The sceptics scoff at that. They say that the holiness is old-fashioned, it's dull, it doesn't bring people into the church. Some might say it's not holiness we need, but it's happiness we need. I want to declare to you today, folks, that if you're truly holy, you'll be truly happy. Happiness is only a byproduct of doing what is right. And being holy, as the Lord commanded us to be, is doing the right thing. And happiness follows. Steve Deneff in his book, um, More Than Forgiveness, says, Just as there are perverted ways of gratifying natural desires, there are pure and more satisfying ways as well. In fact, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. In other words, anything sin can do, holiness can do better. For in true holiness, we are not only separated from sin, but we're made fully human again. We are free to gratify our needs, but this time it's through the cross. We are liberated from the bondage to our appetites. The hiding is over. We can search ourselves without being afraid of what we might find. For wherever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And we are subject to genuine sorrow and thus to genuine joy. Holiness or right living, folks, gives us the power to say no to temptation and gives us the power to do the things that we want to do. 
The fourth thing I wanted to say under this point is that in God's word we have an unshakable proclamation. Verse 25, it says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And, and this comes as a warning. In other words, don't you dare neglect the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus, who speaks from heaven. And Moses spake on behalf of God at Mount Sinai, at the earth, and if the people were punished for their disobedience, how much more? If we neglect and reject so great a salvation, if God's word says to turn from sin and turn to the living God, then we better do it. If God calls us to a holy life, we better obey. God has a word for the people at Mount Sinai and he spoke it through the law. God had a word for humanity in the dark days of captivity and he spoke it through the prophets. And today God has given us his word that, he might, that we might rely on it and might live by it and might die by it. Refuse not him who speaks. And in these last days God has spoken to us through his son Jesus. The time tested wisdom of the scriptures are for us. The solemn warnings of the scriptures are for us. The exceeding great and precious promises are for us. In other words, the things that God has revealed to us belong to us and we're to live by them. As I've often said, we've got to be into the Word and the Word's got to get into us. And then lastly, the third major requirement for coping successfully in these days of shaking is we need the grace to be changed. Verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace or be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The grit to face the facts of our shaken world, we need that. The grip that clings to the things that cannot be shaken, we must have that. And now this very personal application, the grace to be changed. What do we need grace for? To serve God acceptably. We cannot hope to do so unless we have been changed ourselves from within. There's a change in three ways, folks. There's a change initially when we confess our sin, invite the Lord Jesus Christ into our life. We need to be changed in a deeper way in which the Holy Spirit purges and cleanses and purifies uh, the way, the deep stain of sin in their life. And then we need to be changed continuously in countless ways which our characters are tried and they're tested and they're sanded and they're polished in the daily discipline of a consecrated life. So whenever we're going through a crisis, it's our opportunity for us to hold on to that which cannot be moved. My wife shared with me something she found recently uh, because we've been confined to our rooms and their homes and... Uh, this suggestion came to pray. And in Isaiah 26, 20, Go, my people, enter your rooms, shut the door behind you, hide yourself for a little while until the Lord's anger has passed by. I think of this song. I can still hear George Beverly Shea sing this song, that great singing evangelist who was with Billy Graham, Evangelistic Crusade. He used to sing, in times like these, you need a saviour. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure 
your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Let me pray in closing. We thank you, Lord, for your word. It's very much alive today and speaks to us in our need in this very hour. Lord, let us have grace that we, in the middle of all the shocks of the present and the shakings of the future, may abide steadfast in the things which are unshakable. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.